Welcome to this new season of the Punks in Pubs podcast. My name is Liam Bird. So, we've been away for a short while, but we are back full time for another run of episodes. Because it's a new start of of a season, I thought I would go full West Wing and do a quick recap of what the podcast is about. So, apologies to the people who may have heard this before. To the new people joining us, welcome. Uh, This is what we're about. So Punks and Pubs is a podcast that I created nearly two years ago to curb my depression. Punk has always been that one stability that's been ever present in my life, uh, whereabouts I've had zero stability really. So I wanted to create something that celebrated the genre that I love so much and has given me so much. But I have zero musical talent. I could, it wasn't like I could like start smashing on a drum kit and join a punk band and talk about my angst. I just not. I don't have that talent. I just don't have that talent. But my talent that I do have, or did have, and still do, um, I don't know, one of the two, uh, my expertise in radio. Uh, in my youth, I used to work on a now-defunct BBC Radio 1 show called The Punk Rock Show with the king, that is Mike Davis, big on Mike. So from then on, I went to have a mildly successful career making radio documentaries for the BBC. I no longer do that for a job, but my passion for good audio and creating enjoyable content has always been with me. So in my hour of need, when I was uh, I was really fucking down, I decided to push my two passions together, punk and audio, and create this podcast. So the podcast is, has a very loose uh, concept. I will go and speak to anyone who has some form of connection to punk rock. So you will see from the past 42 episodes that I have talked to politicians, uh, breweries, t-shirt printers record label owners and of course punk rock artists so yeah that's basically it the show's bi-weekly so you get a chance to catch up with other podcasts that you cheat on me with it's okay i'm quite open to having a uh, a wide open relationship let's say one thing i am going to change though this season so yeah by the way that's the podcast so one thing i am going to change for this season is uh so instead of playing out bands like I normally do, uh, so new bands usually play out the podcast, what I want to do is use this platform, this podcast, to promote more of a uh, the vast world of punk rock. The work that you are hard grafting to create something with. So what I want is for you to sponsor the podcast. I don't want your money. I want to promote the genre that has given me so much in my life. So if you're in a band or if you create a zine or you're head of an indie record company or you're printing t-shirts or you're making homemade hooch, I don't give a fuck what it is. Uh, well, actually, I do. <laughs> Within reason, I will promote it. Uh, but I want to promote it. I want to push it out to the Punks and Pubs audience. So the idea is that I will make a short ad for you at the top and end of the podcast and try and support you uh, that way. I plan on starting this next week. So if this is something you are interested in, uh, sponsoring the podcast, I need you to email punksinpubs at gmail.com with a short bio of whatever it is that you want to promote. 
Or if you wish, you could record your own ad and send it over to me. It doesn't really matter about the sound quality. You can record it on the phone and email it across to me as an MP3. I will try and clear up the audio as best I can. And you can promote yourself so I don't have to do that because, let's face it, it'd be time-consuming for me. But I do want to help you guys. So, yeah come sponsor the podcast completely free and it'll open up hopefully a new audience uh you guys have helped me so much i mean get across europe for fuck's sake i want to give back so again if you wish to sponsor an episode of the podcast for free email punksandpubs at gmail.com before we crack on with episode 43 i just want to quickly say uh, we have four punks and pubs t-shirts left four of them are medium uh, just like the Goldilocks and the Free Bears, the large ones, the small ones, just the medium ones. Uh, that's not the story of Goldilocks and the Free Bears, is it? It's, it's cold, hot, or... I don't know. I haven't heard that story in a long time. <laughs> what the fuck am I talking about? Anyway, what I was talking about was I've only got four t-shirts left. They're all medium. Once they're gone, they are gone. I won't be reprinting these white ones again. So if you want one of these t-shirts, then please go to the Etsy site uh, and then search Punks in Pubs in the search bar simples that's that let's talk about episode 43 episode 43 sees me in shepherd's bush talking to the very delightful and charming zach quinn lead vocalist of the band pears off the bat i have to say this i fucking love this band uh i loved them before i met zach and uh, they're just fucking phenomenal if you've never seen them live go watch them live they basically encapsulate everything that i love about punk rock my love (laughs) declared right there anyway so i caught up with zach before pairs support show with the descendants back in i think it was late august and you can expect us to talk about a japanese superstar uh surviving in new orleans the concept of southern hospitality What's it like being a new kid on the punk rock block and being given advice by the more weathered veterans of the industry? And we also talk about dealing with optimism and hope. Uh, You will also meet Lisa, the pair tour manager, who keeps Zach where he needs to be. And we finish up talking about Zach's other band, Band Band-Aid Brigade, plus some other loads of guff. Which is enjoyable, but it is guff. Uh, I will pick up back with you guys after my chat with Zach. But until then, people are punks and other people. I present to you episode 43 with myself and Zach. Enjoy. This next song is called Judy is a Punk. Jackie is a punk, Judy is a Oh, yeah, I 
You're good? Yeah. Cool, right. So uh, we are r- literally on the road <laughs> just outside Shepherd's Bush in a cafe, and uh, to the side of me is a man that you will know as Zach Quinn. How are you, mate? I am doing very well. Can you very hear me, well. by the way? I'm happy to be out of the van. Yeah. Um, happy to be here with you. Oh, enjoying this coffee on this lovely day. It's a bit gray, but it's wonderful. So you're here playing uh, with the Descendants. Yes. When when you play a show like that, like how, is it like a kind of a pinch me moment, or is it something that you've just kind of got used to now? It's it it was it was at yeah. first. Um, now it's like it feels like any other show, especially due to the fact that, I mean, we we've played uh, we've done a couple of short runs with Descendants, uh, but long enough to have become friends. Yeah. You know, so it it I, I remember the first time we did it was definitely gnarly. Yeah. It was like, uh, I, I didn't know how to talk to any of them, you know. It's like, how do you? They're one of my favorite bands, I mean, without uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. So that was really kind of, uh, it was scary. Um, not even for, because I think by the time we had played with Descendants, we had played in front of large crowds. That wasn't even scary. It was that just knowing that I was so close to Milo and, yeah. and, and, and Steven and Stefan and Bill and 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 Carl, it's wild. It's wild. It's crazy. It is it is and the projection of the band has just been up and up and up. But we're going to talk about pairs in a minute. But I just want to quickly talk about uh, a person called uh, Kerry Pamu Pamu. Oh yeah, I, I've heard that you are rocking her shit and you love everything about her. Kiari is is. Oh, is it Kiari? Yeah, Kiari. Yeah, yeah. she. Uh, Oh man, I, I you know I've heard people describe her as sort of like the Lady Gaga of Japan. Yeah, uh, but I think that's it's it's like this, the closest thing they that you know the Americans have to compare to her because they're really they couldn't be any more different. I think there's lavish costumes and that's where the comparison stops. Well, I mean, I watched the video of uh, is it Pom Pom Pom? Yeah, and it's like having a sugar acid trip. If like sugar was visible, right? It, that's what the video was, and it yeah. was like it was pretty funny. And I must admit, I went down like an alleyway of oh, what yeah. the fuck is it's, this it's, woman? It's amazing too because I mean, like Lady Gaga is wonderful as Gaga is, you know. Uh, uh, it's still like pretty, uh, just very much pop-oriented uh, music, hmm. uh, and while Kiari is absolutely making like pop hooks and 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 whatnot, it's the the music is all very like there's all this uh, like uh, jazz fusion almost like hmm. chord progressions and stuff happening in the uh, you know behind the scenes uh, you know. Uh, and it's just you put on a pair of headphones and listen to a Kiari Pami Pami record, and you'll discover like a new instrument every time you listen to a song. It's really fun. So uh, we will insert that song right now into this. Okay, and yeah. Just a little, so people understand what it is that we're talking about. Yes. <laughs> Established that you grew up in New Orleans. Sure. Do you still live there? Yeah, yeah, I do. So I've been fortunate enough that I've been over to New Orleans. Oh, wonderful! I did a documentary over there, um, 
And oh, what kind of documentary? It was about Southern hospitality. Oh, cool. And if it's a real thing or if it's like a make-believe thing that Americans use as tourism. And what did you find? I found that because I'm a white British penis person, Southern hospitality is a real thing. But I believe if I was of any other ethnicity, yeah. I don't believe it's that much of a thing. Uh, well, you see... I, I think that uh, that that that's probably true in like the uh, the the white deep south. So yeah, we went we went down into like the bayou, and um, that was pretty interesting. Sure, and yeah. proper um, is it Creola? Is it Creole? Creole. Creole. And and speaking to the people down there and uh, talking about what southern hospitality is, but it was fascinating. I like I, I do like the idea of it, and I do think it is there. But I mean, you're from the south, man. So do yeah, you tell me. Yeah, I, I I think that. Uh, I, well, I, I mean, I just tend to believe that white people can be a little uh, everywhere, you know? Yes, they do. <laughs> uh, they, uh, the best kind of... I, and it's funny, you think of the term Southern hospitality and you immediately think, like, cowboy hat. But mm. I think it, it definitely exists more in uh, communities of color. It was very much, yeah. So what we discovered was it was like groaning tables was something I was told about. Like, sure. So tables where people in the community would bring food uh, because at the time going from town to town wasn't as easy. So that was that kind of community spirit. And um, we went, uh, where, where did we go? Went to Treme and spoke to a priest because I think religion also plays a part in oh, sure. do good to your neighbor, sure. like feed your neighbor. So we went to and spoke to this church, beautiful church. Um, you might know, actually, it's, it's pure white, but it's still stained from Katrina. Uh-huh. Um, it was in Treme. I mean, there's loads of churches in Treme. But uh, we, so we went to spoke to the priest, and we went to speak to the uh, community um, uh, guy who was running uh, community groups out there. And he was talking about how important it is for them to believe that some hospitality is still a thing. And I found yeah. that quite interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it plays heavily in, tradi- in traditions down there. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I'm just echoing you now, but I, I mean, especially in, in religious communities. I mean, uh, it's it's quite a sight to see, like, uh, on a Sunday around mm. a church. I mean, just like, just how many people still go to church. I mean, I don't go to church, you know, no. but I mean, like... Whatever, uh, whatever's bringing people together, I think can't be all that bad. No, I mean I'm all for it as long as it's just not affecting anyone else in a sure. negative way. Um, so the thing that I real, the thing that I noticed though about New Orleans was it seems to be a city that's in transition. Everyone's either not from there oh, or yeah. going through it. Oh, serious, serious transition. And I, I mean, I, I remember, yeah, I, I grew up in the St. Rock neighborhood, which mm-hmm. is around all that stuff, around like the, you know the Seventh Ward and the Treme and. Yeah. Uh, and I remember very clearly being the only white kid around. Uh, and uh, th- there, there's something to be said about, like, you know, first you start seeing the, the crusties, the crust punks, you know, squatting in, a, in abandoned properties. And then that kind of uh, leads into the artsy, fartsy community, mm. you know, from elsewhere. And then, you know, when they open up their coffee shops, uh, Starbucks figures out that there's business to be had you know and so it's kind of this like uh it it goes from like well-meaning to uh to kind of nefarious like overnight uh and i watched the whole thing happen yeah Uh, it was it's it's been a really interesting interesting time and and sad uh in a lot of ways um that i think uh you know uh once again it's like white america's like ability to uh kind of uh not um, acknowledge anything around them and pretend like everything belongs to them. You yeah. know, uh, there—it's not like there wasn't culture before, but now there's there are people bringing. You know, there was a second line for David Bowie when he died, which 
I'm a, I'm a Bowie fan for just as much as anybody else. But a second line for David Bowie is like, that's like, you know, doing one thing from one very specific culture. Yeah. Uh, and kind of, you know, making it something else entirely. Yeah, I, I completely understand that. And, and the second line for me when I was there was, was so precious to, to, to the people, especially, again, coming back to that um, community in Treme. Sure. For them, the second line was something that you were kind of bestowed upon. It was, it was something that was... Um, not royalty, but it was—it was like an honor to get it. Right. And right. seeing that Bowie may have passed through New Orleans a couple of times and played a couple of shows. Yeah. Does he really deserve that? No. No. It, yeah. It's—it's it's not that it's you know it's not like well fuck him you know or <laughs> whatever. It's—it's uh, it's more just about like it's—it doesn't really belong there. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it, there's no reason for it to be there besides the fact that you know unfortunately there are like twenty somethings that are going to college in New Orleans and uh, they kind of just uh, yeah you know the culture is sort of like they they, they it's like the uh, you know cultural appropriation uh, wearing it as a as a sort of accessory mm. rather than appreciating it for what it, the, it's very deep and, and meaningful like roots you know so you see so now obviously in a punk and hardcore band with pairs but growing up in that city of New Orleans that's famous for its jazz its blues and all that other sure. kind of music like what, was you getting that in your house was that something you grew up with or oh, yeah. what kind of music were you listening to growing up or being listened being forced to listen because it's on the radio or whoever sure. in the house is playing it uh, you know uh, my, my dad is a well, both of my parents are musicians still to this day, like professional musicians. Uh, and my grandfather was a jazz trumpet player. Oh, nice. Um, so there was plenty of, you know, New Orleans music around. But my dad is also a mega weirdo. And so he raised me on, like, the music of Danny Elfman. Uh, Danny Elfman? Danny Elfman, uh, he has, well, specifically what I was raised on, he did all of a... He's done, like, basically every Tim Burton movie, the score. Okay, cool, yeah. Um, and so when I was growing up, that meant, uh, you know, Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, Batman, Batman Returns, mm. uh, all this really, like, sort of uh, circus-feeling, um, but also, like, gothic sort of, like, uh, he raised me on some weird stuff. I don't know what exactly led him to do that. I think he just, like... My dad's a really great musician, and I think he has a very short attention span. So, yeah. like, by the time I was born, he liked Danny Elfman and Steely Dan. And that was basically it. He wouldn't listen to anything else. Because I've heard then, because obviously that, that makes sense now for the next question, because if you grew up in music, I heard that you were out in, like, um, the French Quarter playing music on corners at the age of 13. Yeah, well, 13 is a bit young, but I uh, around that age, okay, that's yeah, what yeah. I started doing. Uh, I, I must have been, like... Actually, when I started doing it, I was like 16. Yeah. Uh, doing it for tips, you know. And usually what would happen is I would make very, very few tips because I was very, very bad. Uh, and I would spend it all on booze. Yeah. Uh, and every once in a while, a uh, uh, cooler, older musician would just be like... It happened more times than I can remember, honestly, where they were like, just come sit by me and we'll split the tips. Which was like, just them being nice because nobody was paying for my songs or my music because it was really bad once again. Um, but yeah, they, it, they, it was really sweet. You know, people like kind of took me under their uh, under their arm and, and gave me money for the night and then I was off. But that sounds good though because like New Orleans, day is a completely different place to night. It, it, like the way that once the lights go out, that oh, yeah. town's vibe just changes massively. Right. So like being a 16 year old kid playing 
I don't know how close you were to Bourbon Street, but there's a lot of fucking pissheads around. Oh, like, I, I was fairly close. It was the quarter, you know, and the quarter's so small. Yeah. Like, kind of, you throw a stone in the quarter and mm. you can hit Bourbon Street. So did you ever feel, like, intimidated or any of that kind of shit? Or were you quite kind of like a, a 16-year-old, fuck you, I, I'll do what I want kind of attitude? I don't know. I, you know, I kind of feel like, I, you know, I've never, I've never been jumped. I've never been mugged. Uh, I, and I know a lot of people who have. And I think I've just basically my entire life looked like somebody who has no fight in them and has nothing worth fighting for (laughs) um, on their end or mine. Hmm. You know, know, it's not like they're going to walk away with a payday uh, if they beat me up. I've never really had any problems. I think our tour manager right now uh, has said that I'm like a feral cat. And I feel like that's pretty, that's pretty, you know, spot on. Uh, And nobody wants to take in a feral cat. Nobody wants to touch a feral cat. (laughs) I think that's how I've gotten away with it. You know, I'd walk around like weird parts of town with my guitar at like four in the morning. And I just looked like I didn't have anything. And I really didn't. So, I mean, you can beat me up. This is going to be an effort of, uh, I mean, it's not going to be worth it. I mean, what kind of reminds me of the story, I got mugged uh, at university and uh, I got jumped by these guys. And I was flat broke, had the shittest phone. And literally, when he asked me what I had, I gave him my phone. And they literally said, nah, you keep it. And then they fucked off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, right, yeah. You know, my dad has talked about being afraid when he would get off of gigs and stuff. And it's a different deal, you know. I mean, like, he looks like he has money on him. Hmm. You know, he, he's dressed like he just played a professional gig. Uh, and he absolutely has his night's pay in his pocket. Yeah, but... Yeah, I, I, I think, essentially, like, as long as you're smart in cities like that, you, you, you can avoid trouble for the yeah, most part. definitely. So, g- during school time, then, were you playing in bands? Like, you were saying that your family are musicians. Were you dabbling in other bands? Were you, were you in the mindset of, I'm going to be in a band, this is the only thing I can do? Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I dropped out of high school uh, when I was 16. Uh, but even in, like, middle school and stuff, I was like putting I had like a punk band each year you know uh, and it all worse slash better than the last Hmm. you know um, until I sort of figured it out but uh, yeah I was I was doing the band thing for quite a while I kind of always wanted to do it I I had no idea that I would ever be able to do any of the things that I'm doing now Hmm. you know but uh, I kind of didn't think I was going to live beyond like 21 22 was that just because of drinks and drugs and all that sort of shit? Um, yeah. yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. I mean, just uh, I mean, New Orleans is, is a weird place. Man. I, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of kind of trouble you can get yourself into that isn't being you know beat up. I mean, it's it's a bad place. Uh, it's a great place, but it's it's a black hole. Yeah, you know. So I, I don't know. I, I never expected to exist this long, um, but. Uh, I forgot what the question is because I'm just rambling. That's all right. <laughs> I mean, it's a podcast. Everyone, ra- I've never listened to a podcast where no one rambles at any point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what about punk then? So how did punk find you then? Uh, one of my oldest friends uh, moved to California for a couple of years when I was young. And then he moved back. And then he brought with him, uh, brought back with him some, you know, uh, a handful of like pop punk bands from the time. Must have been like uh, 97 or so. You know, so it was like, obviously it was stuff that was popular and on the radio at the time, like uh, Green Day and The Offspring and, yeah. and stuff like that, Rancid. But also it was like like Less Than Jake and uh, and MXPX and uh, No Effects and like, you know, that, that, that sort of stuff. Uh, 
And then, God, those comps. I mean, those comps from the 90s, you know? I can't even begin to fathom, like, how many people got turned on to an entire genre because Epitaph and Fat were putting out, like, two $3 compilations. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, that's how I just... So, uh, from, what was it, um, Put in the Boot? That I think that Given was the boot. The, the, Given yeah, the, boot, the that Hellcat, Hellcat one. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The fat, what was the fat one called? It was, uh, uh, fat fat music for fat people. Uh, I think each one had a different name. Yeah, actually. yeah. Are we all good? All good. I just uh, wanted to check in. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can take ten minutes longer if you want to because this will take a while. Killer. Killer. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just skip the show. No. <laughs> so in front of us right now is Lisa. Like she's a tour manager. You're a tour manager, correct? Yeah. So Lisa, the tour manager, is looking after Zach. Lisa, yeah, that is specifically <laughs> her job description. <laughs> I can't believe I've only been lost once on this tour, huh? You only lost me once. I did not lose you. Yeah, you did. You ran away. I did not run away. Oh, I have to start talking to them. No All problem. Right. I'll See be back over in a few. Can I get you? Nope, nope. You're Can filling you in. Okay. See, <laughs> she knows better. Lisa knows best. How important is it to have like a tour manager who completely gets you and knows what you, what, you, what your attitude is and she can just kind of ride it? Depends on who you are. Yeah. Uh, when you're me, it's really, really important. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, we're to the point where uh, Lisa will be like, all right, we're stopping. And I'll say, why are we stopping? And she'll say, you have to go to the bathroom. And I'll be like, you are right. <laughs> uh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, she's really, really, really good. Mm. Um, we had this guy named Dante once upon a time. Uh, he abandoned us for uh, better paying gigs. You know, rest in peace, Dante. I hope he hears this. completely lost where we were going with our conversation I had oh. that effect so that's right we were talking about uh, being in bands and finding punk music and through compilations oh right yeah so so yeah so those those kind of compilations where basically you can kind of put it on and you can choice pick the bands that you want so Epitaph uh, Fat um, Hellcat were there any other like were you listening to like uh, indie labels from um, New Orleans because New Orleans isn't known for its punk really no no not necessarily and uh, for a long time there I I there was like a little bit of a of a like hardcore punk scene hmm. uh, in the early two thousands that I you know I would go to those shows. Uh, I, I never liked ska all that much, so I never was doing the ska shows. Didn't like the horns? Huh? Don't like the horns? Uh, it's not that I don't like horns. I just I I, I didn't uh, I didn't really connect all that much with third wave ska. Uh, and uh, there were you know there are bands that I like, but it was never really my bag. Uh, but there was some stuff in the early 2000s, the shows that I would go to. We had, like, all-ages spaces outside of New Orleans that I would mm. go to. Uh, and then things kind of disappeared around the time of the storm. Uh, and then community records happened, which is like uh, Greg and D-Ray uh, from... They were, they were in a band called Fatter Than Albert, and uh, then they were in a band called All People, uh, which is coming to a close now. 
Um, there, there, there are too many projects those guys are involved in to really name, uh, but they've really kind of uh, single-handedly built like a sort of indie punk like label, and you know, uh, kind of a more ambulance, kind of a more uh, uh, what, what's it, what's it called? Uh, uh, condensed scene, you know, yep. like an actual scene. So, so was it through them how you got your first show then with Pez? Because um, your first show is famously with Ryan from Off of Their Heads. Right. And, yeah. Right. No, they, that was just uh, a promoter that we know in New Orleans had them coming through and didn't know who to put on a bill and I guess had heard that me and Brian had a new band. Uh, we were not ready to play that show. I had my notebook on stage and... Uh, the drum, our drummer at the time was like cutting time in half in places where it wasn't supposed to happen yet. It was like, we didn't know our own songs, you know. Uh, can't, I couldn't be happier that we took a gig. But, yeah. You know, because from, from, from my understanding from that interview, because you did an interview with Ryan for his podcast, um, Anxiety and Angry, I think it's called. Anxious and Angry. Anxious yeah. and Angry. Uh, whereabouts he said like, the moment he saw you he just started talking about you to anyone who was willing to listen yeah. about how fucking fantastic it was to, to watch this band called Pears yeah. and for me it was exactly the same kind of experience I, I first time I saw you was when you were supporting um, uh, uh, not something corporate what the fuck uh, Bouncing Souls at the Underworld right 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 and I saw you for the first time, knew nothing about you guys, and I walked away and I was literally telling anyone who was willing to listen about how fucking fantastic the pairs are. Um, for you, how do you take those kind of compliments now? Like, have you grown into it or have you kind of still a bit like, nah, mate, calm down? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I couldn't agree more. You know? uh, <laughs> no, uh, no uh, seriously, it's, it's, it's wild. And... Uh, I don't know, there's there's this whole sort of, like, when you get complimented in ways like that, you know, there's the whole kind of end of uh, imposter, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, that you feel like, eh, you know, I'm just good at pretending to be good or whatever, you know. Uh, but you do kind of, I, I, I feel like I've definitely grown into the role a little more. I, I found, you know, that this is something that I have a knack for, you know, and everybody is good at something. Uh, and I just happen to be good at something that earns me like $400 a year, mm. you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's, it's really rewarding. And, and mostly like the, my favorite thing is, is when people are, are moved by it, you know? Cause I do think, cause pairs are a band's band the way that comedians are comedians, like right. they have comedian comedians. Yeah. yeah they're sure. comedians. I feel like some reason, some reason I know why pairs are band's band and, when you are playing shows and you do go out, are you purposely, when you're supporting, going, we are going to be the fucking best band on this lineup and fuck the headliners? Or do you go quite respectfully going, guys, let's hold it back today because uh, the headliners aren't all that great? We'll never hold back for anyone. Uh, we never have and we never will. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like uh, to, to do that is kind of like, uh, I don't know, you're doing a disservice to everybody involved in the operation. I mean... Um, yeah, you should always, always give it everything you got. Um, and uh, headliners, I mean, I, I think we've definitely played with bands in the past that we've opened up for. Yeah. And then we just, we were really great and for some reason never got the call again. You know, <laughs> and I, that, I, I think that has to happen sometimes, you yeah. know, uh, of course, especially when you're a band as like animated as we are. Um, 
but uh, most of the time, I, I you know, most artists that are in it for the right reasons get excited when they see good things, mm. you know, uh, rather than, you know, whatever weird feelings of, like, with jealousy or something else, you know? So uh, even if we move around a lot more, I mean, like, what, so, so like, I'm, I'm, my knees are still kind of good, and I hop around a lot more than, like, anybody in Descendants, and that means that, like, Descendants, no, I mean Descendants of the Descendants, you know? They're an incredible band. We're just, we, we are us, and, and we're the only us. Uh, and, and that could be said about any band. Yeah. yeah. So, between that year of your first show with Ryan and then signing to Fat, everyone thinks that the pairs has just been up and up and up and up. During that year, whereabouts you weren't signed to Fat, I know you was doing stuff with uh, Ryan's label. Were there any points where we actually like, fuck, what are we doing? Like, this is not going well, or was it just literally a gradual, a gradual incline? I. It was kind of more like uh, there. We didn't really give ourselves time to think about it. Mm. I mean, especially in those early couple of years, we were touring 10 out of 12 months a year. So there wasn't really any sort of, like, forward thinking so much as, like, just, you know, are we, is the band going to make it to Boise? <laughs> That's, like, that, that was kind of where our heads were at for a couple of years. Uh, but I, I, at the same time, there was definitely, like, we believed in what we did. Yeah. Uh, we... Only, I mean, like, half-jokingly, all the time would be like, well, when Fat picks us up, uh, you know, we'll be able to do this and this, you know. And, and lo and behold, that happened, you know. And, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to say that I can just manifest things with my mouth. <laughs> I don't think that's really how it works. But uh, I think, like, the sheer power of belief can get people a lot farther than they, than they realize, hmm. you know. Um God, if you believe in what you do, you, you can kind of become unstoppable, you know, and, uh, yeah. If and having that think, people around you who also believe in you. Yeah, like, that, that, sure. That's vitally important. Well, well absolutely, but nobody's going to believe in you if you don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that was, like, one of the big, you know, there's a lot of, you could draw a lot of similarities from, like, our approach in the beginning to, like, the sort of ethos of all and the descendants you know uh, the, the we will achieve all mm. uh, I mean their whole kind of approach to the way that they toured and uh, wrote records and stuff we kind of did like a similar thing uh, and I think we didn't even notice for a couple of months that we are like we were like oh eventually we were just like this is kind of the way that descendants and like Black Flag looked at it you know just never stopped and everything is 100%. And, yeah. You know, uh, sacrifice everything for the, 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 the good of the, the work. So at what point were you looking around the stage and going, fuck, we are onto something. Like, this shit is real. We, we could actually do this, like, for a living. Do you remember the time when, when, when that happened? Or is he still, you still looking for that? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that it depends on, like, what, like, different levels of a living means. You know, uh, because at one point, I think definitely in the beginning, uh, it, when when things were kind of on the up and up, there was this like dream of like, oh man, we might be able to just play music, and that's how we can live. Um, and then you kind of like, you know, you get into like the larger music business, and yeah, you're kind of just like the, uh, all kinds of realities are just unloaded on you, like. The music industry in 2019 is not uh, a very uh, financially viable one. 
you know, uh, I wasn't kidding about uh, $400 a year. That's about what our, uh, our what's it called, uh, royalty checks are. Yeah. You know, uh, and I don't know how much better that's going to get for a hardcore punk band, you know, or a poppy skate punk band or whatever the hell we are. I don't know, but uh, I don't know how much there is to be made, but uh, making it, uh, I mean, like playing next to your heroes, even if you, you know, you got to find another way to work and make money Mm. is kind of... Incomparable. I've been drinking worthy of the century. The deities that brings me in rivers. Speculum of Liviana. And watch a bear trap. One single motion and pride wide open. Hinge my spine. From my mangled form, my Heart begins to lift With the belt for broken by design Came to send up on the southeast for you Where brings my thoughts on dark leaders Did you get that call then from for Mike? And, oh. and, do, and do you remember what he said? And were you just like, "Fuck off, this ain't Mike." No, I knew it was him because I had been told that he was going to call, and naturally he called me at like one in the morning, <laughs> uh, one night in I think it was like in April, and we had just gotten off of like a nine-week tour. Uh, and I had run off uh, to, like, rural Alabama to stay in this cabin and just kind of decompress. And uh, he called me, and I remember nothing because it was just so fucking weird, you know, to be talking to somebody who's, like, to have a voice address you that you've been listening to just blah, blah, blah since yeah. you were, like, a child was, like, such a bizarre experience. I blacked out. It was, like, one of those things, like, I hung up, and my girlfriend at the time was there, and she was like, what did he say? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that was kind of the beginning of, like, sort of getting used to the idea of getting to know people who I've, you know, seen as heroes. So at that point, am I right in saying that you were writing, halfway through writing Green Star, that you would eventually put out on Fat? That we were eventually what? Yeah, you were writing Green Star, the album. Uh, the yeah. album. Yeah, we were. We we had like we were writing the uh, the Green Star record. Yeah. So you signed to Fat. Did you feel like added pressure? Now, hundred and fifty percent. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that was like, and it was one of those things where we definitely we had discussions about it. Like we were like, well, what do we do? Uh, and ultimately, you know, you, you kind of have to like. It's one of those things you talk it through, and you talk uh, every possibility through, and as you're doing that, you realize that, like, we, we talked about, like, well, do we, do we, like, develop our sound in a way that, like, you know, might be better for, like, listeners of the label, that people might be more accepting of us, you know, mm-hmm. or, like, what, and, you know, you do all these things, and obviously, I mean, you know, you arrive at, well, our gut got us here, 
why stop trusting it now? Yeah. Which I think is a, a huge mistake that a lot of bands make, you know? Uh, achieve like actually achieving any form of success is not a reason to start changing what you're doing if anything double down yeah yeah, yeah. what you're doing is working and that's what we did you know uh we it was hard uh and it was tempting to to not do things that were more experimental you know but i think we we kind of broke through that got through it made the record we wanted to so I think your, your own advice that you gave yourself is like is probably the best advice anyone listening to this could probably get. But when you are playing, so you sound fact you, you play a shit ton of shows supporting mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. You, you're the new hot shit on the, on the block. So you're going to get some of the old guys coming up to you and go, hey, Zach, what you need to be doing is this. Right, 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 right. What's right. some of the best and worst advice that you were given? You don't, don't name the bands if you don't want to. Um, well... I'm, I'm, I got this is actually a question I got to think about because there's been uh, every and I will be one of them one day but every old guy that's played music his whole life has tons of advice yeah. they want to give you um, shit I, that's a tough question we can come back to it yeah we're gonna have to come back yeah, there's no too problem. many too many instances I got to think about which one is my favorite. <laughs> so, like, Anxious and Angry podcast. I, I, I tell everyone, just go and watch, go and listen to it, download it. It's really, it's such a good podcast. Yeah, it is. Um, so, but on that podcast, you you said something that stayed with me for a couple of years, and it still freaks me out now. You said, um, having hope is scary. And that is something that had stayed with me because I had hope in my previous job, and it didn't work out. And it fucked me up for a while. And this is why this podcast is, is a thing. Because yeah. I needed to build up my confidence again. Do you still believe that? Do you still believe that having hope is scary? Especially now that the band's trajectory is so on the climb. I, I absolutely still think it's it's having hope is a courageous act. Hmm. Um, I think it's much easier to be hopeless. Uh, especially, you know, somebody in, in, in my position. You know, given the tools that I've been given... Uh, just uh, and and just the privilege that I have. Uh, having hope is courageous, but it's 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 responsible. Um, uh, Never uh, but uh, I, I still absolutely believe that. Can't think when that ambulance is yelling at me. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's scary, uh, and. Uh, I mean, obviously, like being at the bottom, uh, there's nowhere left to fall. Um, I think at one point maybe I was like hopeless in a way. Yeah. And and what, you know, you know, you you keep moving forward by just compartmentalizing and like you know basically building yourself a routine rather than like thinking about it, which was essentially all of the beginning of Paris was just routine and not forward thinking. Yeah. You know, but kind of just like show, show, show. Um, I definitely have hope now, hope for all kinds of things, um, and it is scary, you know, uh, because I, this can go anyway. And I mean, like the the, the saying that my, our musical career is on the up is not saying that much. I don't know how high it goes. You know, I mean, it's as high as goes as as, as much as. You, you keep, I suppose, it's the audience that you keep finding, and they keep discovering. And I don't, I don't know because I'm not in your industry, so I, yeah. like, it's hard for me to kind of. Uh, I know, you know, there, there, there are enough bands that are incredible bands made up of incredible people that 
uh, not everybody ends up happy, you know. Mm. Uh, and and at the end of the day, I mean, in that like the, the the number one goal, you know. I mean, I feel like all of this has to mean something for other people and for me, like in terms of like happiness. Uh, and where 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 does it where does it go from here? I mean, like what what where. I'm 30, so it, it, it can't. It's, this isn't the end, hmm. and I don't know. I don't know what happens next. Uh, I hope it's good. You kept saying happy there a couple of times, and because sometimes with this podcast, I talk about mental health because it's something that I've suffered through, and I know it's a lot of some people have also suffered through it listening to this. And I think it's really healthy for people to talk about it, especially uh, young men, because they just don't do it enough. Sure. And, and especially in the, the the punk scene that we love. Unfortunately, there's people who haven't dealt with their own mental health and gone uh, a different route with it. And I've, I know that you've spoken about it in the Anxious and Angry podcast. Um, so if you don't want to talk about it now, that's fine. Oh, but, I don't mind. Um, there was a, you posted on Instagram recently when you were in Paris, just basically saying you're, de- you're having a fucking hard day. And I don't know if that was out of I don't know if that was irony or whatever it was. No, I was having a hard day that day. So how do you how do you keep your mental health? well when you are on the road so they, do you speak to your bandmates do you speak to Lisa for instance like how do you deal with it everyone on the team is is a different kind of confidant you know I mean the same way that you know every relationship that you have is a little different than another you mm-hmm. know um, and I think we all uh, serve purposes for one another uh, we all care about each other very deeply um, as far as keeping your mental health together on the road I don't know you know first of all like obviously there are some times that there are things happen and you have to fucking deal with them but mental health is like it can mean nothing happens and you gotta deal with shit Hmm. Uh, and that especially now that we've been touring for uh, quite a while uh, that's usually more the case you know because this whole tour operation now is like a pretty well oiled machine you know uh we know how to do it. Yeah. But mental health doesn't give a shit whether things are going well or not. Hmm. Um, and I don't know. Uh, medication has helped me a lot. Uh, it's funny that it doesn't... It, did, it hadn't changed uh, any of my thought processes at all. Was that something you were, you were concerned about? Like, that when you started medicating, were you worried that it might change your thought process and how you write? I was very concerned about yeah. that. I was very concerned about that. I mean, there's so much to be concerned about con- uh, when it comes to medication, especially mm. when, you know, you're uh, with SSRIs and, like, you're looking at the list of possible side effects. Oh, no, I'm okay. Uh, thank you. He, he, he just offered me his sunglasses. <laughs> what a gentleman. Um, with SSRIs, I mean, like, the, the side effects are, like, re- I mean, it was everything from, like, complete loss of sex drive to uh, crying blood. Fuck. To, like, it was, like, I, I you know, here we go. Yeah. Um, but, no, I was definitely worried that it was going to change the way that I think. But it didn't. It changed the way that I could compartmentalize what I think. Yeah. You know, so I still have the same fucking whacked out, like... Uh, spirals of like non-logic but now I have the ability to go this isn't this is wrong Hmm. this is this is just me this isn't what's actually happening and I'm able to kind of like get through it with infinite more ease than I ever could without medication Uh, it has worked for me oh good good I'm glad that you're you're in a good space 
And so you did a split called Human Emotion, uh, Human Movement, sorry. And um, again, in the podcast, you spoke about how you felt a bit like you felt tapped out because it was so close to um, Green Star being released and you, you felt kind of a bit of anxiety about doing it. Yeah. We, at any point, did you push back and go, guys, let's not do this? Like, that's like, that's just. I, I, ca- I can't do this. I definitely did. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, this was also another one of the reasons that it's been so long since another LP. Because uh, Green Star was really, like, tall order for me. And I was like, I, I maybe needlessly, like, dumped hours and hours and hours into, like, making sure that the, the lyrics especially were, like, exactly what I wanted them to be. Um, but, uh... Yeah, it, that was a hard one to do, but it was. It ended up being a different thing entirely, you know. Trying to deliver like uh, 15 minutes of music, uh, half of a record, uh, turns out is a completely different, you know, experience than than putting together an entire piece. Hmm. Um, so it was different. Uh, the writing process was different. It was kind of a. It was much more um, bits and pieces at a time. Uh, and then just kind of stringing things together. Uh, which actually, when I say it that way, Green Star, maybe it wasn't all that different. Maybe it just was nerve-wracking because I like Green Star so much. It's cracking out, man. Still a reason that, you know, doing another LP is scary, but we're getting ready to do it. Oh, good. And we're going to come back to that question in a second, though. Um, so, I understand Brian, who's your guitarist, is a budding stand-up comedian. Is a what? A budding stand-up comedian. Brian, Brian is. I uh, yeah, yeah. He's a uh, he's a funny little dude. Does does he do his work in the van? Like does he does he try his like craft in the van? Oh wait, do do, do you mean like an actual stand-up? I comic? read that he's actually trying to be a stand-up comic. Yeah. Oh no, he's not doing stand-up. No. No, no. I'm closer to doing stand-up than he is. Like <laughs> I, I think. I mean, and by closer, I don't mean that I'm funnier than him. I mean like I consider. I actually have considered it. I got to take off my coat. That's okay, man. I suppose it is kind of the same though because you're up on stage and like whenever you're communicating with the crowd and you want to crack a joke I mean that's got the process of a stand-up comic right, it? right right yeah. uh, and, and since I started taking meds I started yapping now I feel comfortable to do it <laughs> yeah. you know? and I've thought about it a little bit but it feels like a little like uh, I don't know the idea of doing that seems a little uh, like a tangent that I don't necessarily need to go on hmm. um, I feel like Picking up a second art medium at 30 when I've dumped so much time and effort into one seems a little counterproductive. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, I mean, like, if something, you know, if, if, if something feels good, then do it. Obviously, like, still got a creative, creative juice going because you, you did your one-week record with... Um friend of the pod Joey Cape yep. and um, you're doing Band-Aid Brigade yeah. which is a bit of a disco vibe which I'm enjoying That's, that that song is oh I can't yeah. wait for people to hear more of it it's it's kind of all over the place yeah yeah yeah. very much uh, it's a very radical record so why have you decided to try and like mess with with, with sounds and instead of going just stick, sticking to pairs hardcore punk um, mostly it was just uh that record never would have happened had I not, you know, made such good friends with Brian Wallstrom. Uh, I mean, that's where that came from, our, like, mutual love for all kinds of music. Um, and I've just really haven't had a partner before that was interested in, like, if I go, do you want to do a disco tune? Nobody has ever said yes before. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's something really kind of special about two guys that, like, 
both have like a vested interest in punk rock and like we you know part of that world that also want to do a disco track yeah. that want to record like something that sounds maybe like foreigner you know or whatever you know the genesis is kind of the one that was all over the record that we kept uh, comparing it to i just haven't had that uh, that partner yet and are you enjoying that that, be, that that ability to be able to like flex your creative juices and really go in a different direction? Oh my God, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. If anything, I mean, it was making the uh, Band-Aid Brigade record that finishing that was, I think, super important uh, when it comes to arriving to being ready to do another Pairs record. There needed to be some sort of hard break. And... All of a sudden, you know, it was like I had fresh ears and eyes at mm. the Paris Project, you know, and kind of started getting an idea of what I wanted to do, at least on my end. So this this will probably go in October. So when are you recording now? I mean, what's recording the Recording in September. So yeah. by the time this airs, we will have recorded the record. That's a funny thought. Wow. <laughs> Creeping up. And do you know when you might release it? Not sure. Yeah. Uh, we're doing everything one thing at a time this time you know uh, every other record we've ever made there was a release date before we'd even touched it hmm. uh, we're not doing that this time around you know because you never know what kind of snafus you'll hit uh, though there, I don't really see any scenario where we're not finished with it I would imagine January February something like that snafus I'm taking that word away from you that is a cracking word love it <laughs> <laughs> so um, so come on last, last question best and worst advice you were given oh okay um Zach is looking off in the distance, thinking very hard about my question. <laughs> uh, the worst advice I was given was probably that Paris needs more choruses. Any reason why they said that? Probably because they like choruses, <laughs> you know? And I, I do too. I like choruses just as much as the next guy, but I, I don't think that's what Paris was put on the the planet for you know yep. the best advice I mean it's so like kind of not interesting and not like uh, it doesn't feel deep it feels cliche but keep doing what you're doing you know I mean I think that's really it's such great advice for anybody I mean like if you can figure out how to trust your instincts uh, then you're gonna inevitably make something that only you can make you know, imitation and, and, and trying to live up to somebody else's, like, vision of what you can be is, like, the easiest way to fail. Hmm. Uh, nobody can be you the way that you can be you. And don't ever, and don't let anybody tell you how to be you. Zach, keep on keeping on, man, because the shit you're doing is just amazing. I'm really enjoying it. And, Thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, thanks for your time, babe. Thanks for That's having this good. conversation. My, my pleasure, man. Judging misery, the mirror of my world.
thank you to Zach for taking the time to chat with me and chill with me and have a nice coffee. Go give him a follow on Instagram. Uh, he's got the best fucking Instagram name. It's uh, Zach Quinstagram. <laughs> it just makes me laugh every time. So that is Zach Quinstagram. So S-T-A-G-R-A-M at the end of Zach Quinn. And keep an eye out for that new Pears album in the new year. And check out band aid brigade you won't be disappointed i think there's only a couple of tracks out there at the moment but i understand an album or ep is not far away if you're interested in listening to my documentary on southern hospitality you can still listen to it surprisingly it's been out now for about two three years i think Uh, you can listen to it on bbc sounds if you're in the uk if not you might have to do a bit more hunting it is presented by the funniest fuck comedy god that is rich hall Uh, there will be a link on the episode of the bio on uh, on the phone that you have right now of this episode so you can check it out on there also i'll post the link across the punks and pubs social site at punks and pubs go give us a follow uh we've been away for a little while so go and show us a little love and go rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to all the other shit that you listen to lastly don't forget that you can sponsor the next episode of punks and pubs just email punks and pubs at gmail.com for more information right that's it for this episode it's good to be back thank you for sticking around for so long we didn't intend to be away for this long but shit happens uh, we're essentially starting again. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go and look at our social media posts. As always, if you're going to a punk show and you see someone fall down, you pick them right back up. Till next time, bye-bye. <laughs>